pray, Ray. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you that you are a much gracious, more gracious God than I, <laughs> than I have spoken. And thank you that you are compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Thank you that you um, call us gently to the work that you created in advance for us to do. Help us to hear that call, Lord. Help us to see where you want us to go and how and when and where. Help us to, to follow you, Lord and to encourage one another to follow you too. And please, Lord, I pray that you would go before us in all the decisions we need to make as a ministry and in all the ways that we are seeking to, to proclaim your word into the darkness that is engulfing this country. Help us, Lord, with that so that we are not just being a light that is covered up by a, a basket so that we really are shining and making it known that you are a God who loves and who cares and who knows and who wants people to know you. I just pray, Father, that you would really burn that onto our minds and onto our hearts so that it really causes us to stand up and move on with you. And I pray, Lord, because I believe that you want your word known, that you want us to know your word and to stand on it and to make it known. Um, Yours is a living word, Lord. That's what we know. We know that the word is alive, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts through bone and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and that's what we want, Lord. That's why we come here every week. We want you to judge our thoughts and our intentions. We want you to lay aside the, the stuff that needs to go and to show us the, the way that you want us to walk. And Father... We know you gave us that desire too. So we pray, Father, for your hand upon us, for your good hand to be upon us. And we pray, Lord, that you would really transform us into the image of Jesus, whom we love and want to love more. So we pray, Lord, we give you this evening and all the discussion in it. We thank you for your word. And we ask that this would all go up as a soothing and sweet aroma to you to your throne of grace, Lord. And we praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we finished last time by looking at um, First Thessalonians, and we kind of didn't get to the end of it exactly, so uh, I wanted to start there again, First Thessalonians, um, because uh, amazingly, the... Uh, the letter to the Thessalonians was written only about between three and five years after the church was first formed. So this is an amazing letter in many ways because Paul is writing to Christians who are only three to five years old in the Lord. And unlike his letter to Timothy, this is perhaps his first letter. This might be the first letter he wrote, um, but it is one of his early ones. Um, and so it's interesting to see what he wrote to them um, and what he had told them already, because he's writing to remind them of things that he told them when he first was with them. And when he first was with them was the time that he gave them the gospel, and they believed. So um, could we um, read, someone read the first chapter, please. The first, it's just ten verses, so someone read that chapter. Anyone? Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for you, for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Thank you. Okay, we looked at we started to talk about it last time we were together because you can see just from the first few verses and, and definitely from the first chapter that these believers were living for God. They were living for God and they had been changed by the um, word of God. They had come to faith through this powerful word of God, the gospel, and that, and that coming to faith didn't stop with their just being justified. They actually, they had that, this word that was preached to them and the Holy Spirit they received revolutionized their life. So um, one of the things that we've just come to the end of studying Second Timothy, we're on the last chapter, and uh, Paul is going to say right at the beginning of that last chapter, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of his son Jesus Christ, preach the word. And you know, we, we know what he means, but what he says to the Thessalonians is, the word that I preach to you has had such a result in your life that everybody's talking about it. And we don't need to write anything to anybody else because everybody around you knows the faith that you are living. And really that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because this word came in power, he says. It didn't come to you in word only, it came in power. And that power changed their lives. And I want to ask myself, did it change my life in the same way? And has it changed the life of the church? If we were to look at the church in Sirencester, would we say, or in Stroud, or wherever we come from, would we say that the gospel that came in power, well, first of all, did the gospel come in power? And secondly, has it revolutionized our lives? Does the church look like... Um, a revolutionized body of believers. And so um, what Paul, what we've talked about, what we talk about every study we do, and it just goes, comes up and up and up, and I think it's because God puts it in there in every page of the Bible. We need to know the word of God for ourselves. We have to know the word of God for ourselves. And that's what these Thessalonians had understood. They'd received that word for themselves. And it had changed and transformed and, as I say, revolutionized them. But why do we need to know the word of God for ourselves? Why? Why do you need to know the word of God for yourself? If we can say the word of God, 
Yeah, it's powerful because the word of God is powerful. That's definitely true, and it's powerful as a witness. But think about what happens in churches in our in our time, and probably has always happened in churches, but mostly, especially in big churches, you go into a big church, you either you hear the gospel you believe or or you believe just before you went in and you're a new believer. And you start to talk to the people in the church and the people especially the people in leadership, if they're good, they'll come up and say, Oh hello, I haven't seen you before, you're new here and, and so that will go on. And almost always they will start to think you must talk to so and so you'd be you'd really enjoy that ministry that would be really good or we're doing this and we're doing that let me give you a list of all the things this church is involved in and then you could maybe see if something interests you and you could you could do that that's generally the way we do or you find out that someone had a business degree oh you know we're really looking for a treasurer we so need a treasurer or we need this or and we think that would be great so all of those things happen all the time. They happened to me when I was first a believer. And so what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? They bring you in to do something as opposed to learn something. They, do, they bring you in to do something as opposed to learning, which is, yeah, that's the fundamental thing. But what does that actually mean in practice? So when you start doing something, what are you actually doing You're, well, you're practicing what you've always practiced because you're going to just necessarily go to where you would always be comfortable and always know how to do. And almost always that means you are not moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you are certainly not understanding the work that God created in advance for you to do. So the big problem with not knowing the word for yourself is the word is the way God shows you the work that he created for you to do. Yeah, it's exactly. And so what happens is now in those churches, people are st start to assess what is good and what is bad by their own natural human thinking because they haven't replaced it with God's thinking. Now, how many times have we said in this room that the perspective of God is the opposite of the human perspective? His ways are the opposite of our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So if... If there is any work inside a church building, inside a ministry, inside anything, inside a fellowship, that ha is not based on what we've heard from the word of God, almost certainly your, all your energy and time is being eaten up by something that maybe is not the thing that God intended for you to do. So we don't even know what to do if we don't know God. And the only way we know God is through his word. So if we are shortchanging that that section of the knowing the word, everything everything is just and it doesn't mean you're not a it doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean that you're not really a believer. It just means that you will live an unfulfilled life because you won't know the joy of of working in the work that God has created for you to do. And there'll be a lot of wasted time and energy. Um and that's the opposite of the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church just was completely different because they knew the work that God had created because they knew the word of God. And if you think about how young they are in the Lord and what they know, what Paul has already taught them, it's astonishing what they know. Look at what um, Paul says 
Um, he says that they came to faith in much tribulation. Uh, you received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's in verse um, six. six. Thank you. Um, and they started to act on the word that they received. So they started to live out the truth of the word. And if you go through and look at verse 6 and verse 8 and all the way to verse 10, you can see some things that they did. So what are the specifics? Verse 6, what did they do when they came to faith? Yeah, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So just take that sentence. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. What do you know for sure about these believers? What did Paul teach them? Well, one of the things he said is, you only follow me because I follow God. You don't follow me because... <coughs> You think I'm a great person. You follow me as I follow the Lord. He says that's the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, I think is the first one. Im, uh, he says, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's taught them that. Follow what is true. Follow the truth as I follow the truth. Um, what about verse 8? Yeah. The Lord's message sounded forth from you. So these new believers were taking this new gospel, this good news of salvation, and they were sharing it. Not just sharing it, but they were sounding it forth. It's like this, you can almost imagine them standing on the hilltops and crying out this gospel message. Um, what else in verse 8? Yes. Exactly. We've got no need to say anything so about you. And exactly. And and it because your faith in God has become known everywhere. Doesn't he say that in verse mm. eight? We have no need to say anything because your faith in God has become known everywhere. So it was so much so that we have no need to say anything. How is their faith? Their faith in God has become known. How has it become known? Yes. Exactly. They they're an example to the believers in other other areas. Well, I mean just you don't even have to get past verse six or seven to ask the question, is that true of us? Really, is that true? Yeah. Well so if it isn't true, what must we do? Really, because you know, I said at the beginning when I was blurbing on about you getting involved and doing stuff for Desiring Truth, so forgive me if I was a bit strong, but, um, you, you know, nearly everybody in this room would agree that we're right on the edge of the end. If not, you know, we're, we're right there. There's no more time to mess about. It's either in or out. You know, and... and do you want to waste any t the time that you have left, even if you just think about your age? Do you want to waste the, th the time you've got left? Or do you want to use it for the glory of God? And do you want to be able to face the Lord when he comes? Paul will talk about all those who love his appearing. We'll, we'll look at that a bit later in, in Timothy. Do you want to face the Lord Jesus and regret 
the days and the months and the years that you did nothing. Because I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be, be thinking, I could have said this or I could have done that. Or, or, or why did I get so bogged down here? Why didn't I just move on? And actually, that's in all of our hands. That doesn't take a work of God. It takes you and me to say, actually, that's it. I'm done with that stuff. I want to move on in the Lord. He says that, you know, they became imitators of him and of the Lord. The Lord's message sounded forth from them. Their faith in God had become known everywhere. And that faith, between verse 6 and verse 10, he talks about what that faith has done, what their believing did. And he says, look, doesn't he say how you turn to God from idols to serve, how, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come or from the coming wrath. Look at what they know. These people turned from idols. Now, it was probably easier for them because they had statues all over the place. They had actual physical statues and buildings and an idolic worship, which, which was easy to see. But the question is, did we turn from our idols did we turn from our idols? The idols that you can't see and you can't touch, but that you know are there. The ones that Paul talked about to Timothy. From days will come when men will be lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure and lovers of this and lovers of everything else. Avoid such people as these. Having a, a, a form of religion, a form of godliness, but denying its power. Did we turn from our idols? Or have we not even recognized them as idols? Is it family? Is it reputation? Is it education? Is it schooling? Is it, is it house? Is it area you live? Is it, is it, you know, I mean, you could go on and on and on. Is it money in the bank? Is it, is it whatever it is? Have we turned from those idols to serve a living and true God? You know, these are questions that we don't have much more time to ask ourselves and to answer. And what happened when they did that? When they turned from idols to serve God, what happened? Well, people can see the effect. Exactly. People saw the effect. And what effect did that have? Positive. All positive. People saw the effect of their life and it, it, it had results, not just in them but in other people. They didn't leave any holes in the wall. They filled the holes. You know, like Nehemiah, when he goes back to Jerusalem to build the walls and everybody stands and they've got their trowel in one hand and their weapon in the other, or whichever way round that was, and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. I mean, who could credit that? They repaired the gates and rebuilt the walls and that's because everybody did their part. Nehemiah couldn't do that on his own. He had the heart to do it, but he couldn't do it. He needed everybody to pick up their weapon and pick up their, their uh, building tools and to actually commit themselves to the work. And that's what God's calling us to. And I want to cry because I know I say it so many times and you're fed up with hearing it. But that's the work we're called to here. 
in this country, in this town, in this place, we are called to sound forth the gospel message, which is not just that Jesus, that God loves you so much that Jesus came and died in your place and was buried and was resurrected. The gospel message is that, thank God, you won't stay the same. You'll be transformed and your life will be full of joy and of peace and of grace and of mercy and forgiveness and all that good stuff. And yes, it's a battle. And yes, you'll have to fight. But God has promised. And he is a living and true God. And, and don't you want to be talking about this God? Don't you want to be living for this God? Don't you want to be sounding forth the truth about this God? And I'm not saying you're not doing that. I, I don't mean to imply that you're not doing that. But I do mean to say... Time is short. Don't waste it. Time is really short. And it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't even matter what you did before you came in today. It only matters that when you go out, you've changed. You've decided this word, I am going to allow this word to change me. Because God won't force it. You know, we always say, oh, you know, God will do it. God will change me. God will do this. God will transform me. God will do, lead the way. God, And he does, but he won't force you to change. He will enable you to change, but he will not force you to do it. You have to decide. These people decided. They decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What is it, the song? Though none may follow, no, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. It's living a life that's intentional. Yeah. It's living a life that every day you say, Lord, yeah. let me make the most of every opportunity. Yeah. And we were also talking about life can become very hectic. Yes. Because you could be doing so much. Yes. That you never actually take time to even yes. have a little bit of enjoyment. Exactly. And funny enough, this came up recently. And it's almost as if enjoyment is a bit of a sin. I mean, mm. you know, we can't do that. Mm. So I'd love to have a little bit of an idea about mm. a little bit of balance. Is mm. it right to, mm. you know, do something that's mm. quite fun? On the <laughs> fun? No, we're Christians. That's not allowed. No fun. I know, I know. The thing is, it, I suppose it depends what we mean by balance and what we mean by fun and what we mean by, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to say, yes, go and have fun, you know, don't worry, you need to balance your life, you need to have some me time, because I think that's a lie straight from hell. I know you do, I know, but, so that's what I'm saying. It's difficult to answer that, because, yeah, what does it mean, first of all, to go and enjoy things, you know? I mean, I look at our vicar, and he must work about 18 hours a yeah. day. Yeah. Seven days a week. Yeah. But he said it's fun, I love it, but it's yeah. actually killing Yeah. Well, there's two things, I think. First of all, that sometimes we spend a lot of time and energy doing things that God hasn't called us to do. And I'm not talking about your vicar, I'm just saying generally. And so then you'll find complete burnout very quickly. There's not much joy in it, um, et cetera, et cetera. But then I think that you can do other things that God has called you to, and you will get exhausted, but you will have joy. Because the exhaustion will be physical, but not spiritual and not mental. And then I think there are probably times when everything drains out of you because we're connected, body, soul, and spirit, emotions, thoughts, 
physical, we're connected. And so I think there are times when we just have to lay flat on our bed and say, I can't, I just can't do anymore. Um, or when we have to walk in the, in, the, in the park or sit and watch the river go by and, you know, um, and none of it's wrong because your desire is to serve God and that's your desire, it is. So the fact that you have to rest sometimes, the fact that you might go on holiday, I mean, there's nothing wrong in that. But it's the... I don't think it's so much that every day you wake up and you run about like a mad thing, like a headless chicken trying to serve the Lord. I think it's that you spend the time with the Lord where he tells you what he wants you to do, where he shows you where he wants you to go, and and then you do that. Um, and I, I often, Eve, I think, for, for me anyway, I think busyness is often, and I am very busy, but I think that mostly the problem with my busyness ends up being in my head because I look too far forward. Instead of saying, okay, what am I doing tomorrow? That's fine. There's not too much tomorrow. I look at the next two weeks and think, wow, how am I ever going to do the next two weeks? But I think that's also a work of the enemy because once I start looking too far forward, I can't possibly handle what I've got to do. But if I just do each thing in front of me, it becomes possible because God enables me. Um, so I think busy is a, is a catchword at the moment. We're all too busy. You know, I have to really watch myself. People say, how are you? I say, oh, just, you know, I'm so busy as usual. It's like, what is that? Is there some pride in that? Well, I'm just so busy because I'm working so hard for the Lord. You know, I'm not saying you, you, that's yours, but certainly I have to watch that. You know, um, I can do what God has called me to do if I look at just tomorrow or today. There's no problem with it. I know he will enable me. But once I look too far, it becomes a mountain I can't climb. And, um, yeah. So, um, Paul has spent time with these Thessalonians and he's now writing to them because he's heard all of this about them. And you know because of what he's, he writes, we're not going to read the whole letter, but you could read the whole letter when you um, go home or tomorrow. He's taught them so much about God in just the short time he was with them. Just think about some of the things, because of what the, how they've responded, some of the things he must have taught them when they first came to the Lord. So this is not, you know, we have this thing, don't we, that, well, they're a new believer, so we better not tell them too much because they won't be able to process it. You know, I want to just drip feed so that they don't, they don't have to worry. I mean, certainly don't get them to read Revelation because, I mean, they couldn't handle it. But Paul told them Revelation. I mean, it hadn't been written yet, but he told them, there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming, and Christ is going to rescue us from that wrath that is coming. Because at the end of every chapter in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, there's talk about the second coming of Christ. He must have told them. So what else has he told them? What do they know about God? Just, just think of things that they know about God. He's the centre of our life, yeah. Follow what he says, yeah. What do you know about God from First Thessalonians chapter one? If you if you if you only had this chapter, what would you know? Yeah, they knew that God loved them. That God is is love, and He loved them. Yeah, sorry, Carol, say that again. Verse five is a good one. 
Brother what? Gospel did not come to you in word only. Yeah. Also in power. Yeah. And in the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit. So first of all, they know that God is, well, they know he's Trinity because they know about the Son. They know about Jesus. They know about God the Father. And they know about God the Spirit. So he didn't have any problem about talking about the Trinity. He just told them about the Trinity. He didn't bother. Can I really explain what that's like? Should I tell them it's like an egg? You know, shell, yolk, and albumin. Should I tell them that? Because they won't get it. He just, just said, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I can't work it out. I don't know how that is. But I know it's true. So he told them that God is living. He's true. He says that they turn from, to, from idols to serve a living and true God. So they know God is living. They know he's true. They know he has a son. They know that he has spirit. They know that he has a word that came to them in power. They know that there's a gospel message of grace. They know that. They know that he loved them. What else? Yeah. Yeah. And they, in full conviction, it was preached to them and they received it in that way. That it's possible to be fully convinced about this God. What else? He must have told them something about the Old Testament as well. Yeah. Because there were Jews in Greece. Yes. And it was, a, it was Judaism, it was involved. Yes, definitely, definitely. So I think almost certainly he preached the gospel to them from the Old Testament. Yes. Well, he did. And because that's how they preached, that's what they had. So he talked to them, obviously, about Jesus and about the fact that Jesus had come and died and been buried and resurrected. But he filled that out from the Old Testament. He's the promised one. He's the savior. He's the redeemer. He is that person. Um, yeah. Your work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, just let's just finish. Can we just finish that, Carol? Before? Oh no. Okay. What does he mean by that? So he says that he's he's been giving thanks for them and mentioning them always in his prayers because he's heard about their uh, work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. So, so what is um, the work of faith. Believing. Yeah, believing, believing and, and yeah. Carrying out, the, the telling others. Yeah, exactly. So it's like yes, it's working yes. out what has been put in. Yes, yes. Um, their labor of love. What's a labor of love? I think it's what you're talking about, Eve. It's, your, it's what you're saying. It's that God has called you to this particular thing. And it's hard work. It's hard work. But it's a labor of love. I've got here, faith produces action. Yeah. Um, not unfounded, wishful thinking. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Did you hear, Caroline? Faith produces action, not unfounded, wishful thinking. Um, Okay, and steadfastness of hope. What's the hope that they have? Hmm? Don't worry, don't worry about that. That's fine. It's fine. Don't worry, Brenda. It's for Brenda's medicine. It's not her phone ringing. We would all be 
looking. <laughs> there, he's got it. There you go. Praise God for that. Praise God for it. You've got to take the medicine. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Steadfastness of hope. Yeah, eternal life. It's eternal life. And the steadfastness of that hope, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that we will live eternally with him in paradise with the Lord God. You know, the steadfastness of hope is that... Why is Paul mentioning that word, steadfastness? Why is he saying that? Because we're going to need it. And they had, they were in a situation where they needed it. Because the persecution of Christians was really hotting up at, at that time. Nero needed a scapegoat and Christians were it. And so they were being persecuted. And he said, you received the word in much tribulation. It was difficult to believe because it, you know, everything was conspiring against them. And they didn't want to, in some ways, believe because they knew what that would bring about. <coughs> but they ne nevertheless had this steadfastness of hope, even in the face of the persecution that they were having to endure. So... Um, I don't have enough courage to talk to my non-believing children. It frightens me. Do I say anything or do I keep the peace and not say anything? Because I know they'll explode. <laughs> not all of them. No, no, one in particular. And that frightens me. Mm. I know the Lord wants me to talk to her. Well, first of all, none of us have got the courage, but God, but God has, and he promises that when you open your mouth, he will give you the words to say. And he promises, what does he say? Be strong and courageous. Why? I am with you. I am with you. And yes, it's hard, John. All of us have that with unbelieving children. Of course. It is. And the thing is, you're keeping a peace that doesn't exist for them. No. And it doesn't exist for you. Because you're not at peace by not speaking. No. Because you know God wants you to speak. So actually, the only thing you're doing is putting a bag over your head and putting a bag over their head too, in the hope that, you know, this will all be all right in the end. So uh, what I would say to you is that God loves you and he loves your children. And he will give you the way and the opportunity to speak to them. And you may come away from the conversation thinking, well, Lord, I really messed that up. But he has promised that if those who honor him, he will honor. If you do what he's calling you to do. I'm 18 now. I've not done it yet. Yeah, well. <laughs> do you know what I said? What did I say a minute ago? Forget yesterday. Forget all day. Just start again. Just start again. That's the wonderful thing about the Lord. There's always the starting again. Um, so lots of things they knew about God. Um, if you were to read through this book, you'd find a lot of things that he tells them that um, they only submit, they submit to him, they, uh, to God. They, these uh, Paul and his workers, there's one true God. He will perfect believers at the coming of Christ. They will be perfect. Um, he's faithful. This God is faithful. Um, if you read through, you could, you could make a long list of all the things that he had already told them about God and that he was reminding them of. He's told them about the Son of God, the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ Jesus? 
what is the truth about Jesus? Yeah, and yes, he's the Son of God, and yes, yes, big picture. So, yes, he's there for us, big picture. Jesus Christ is God, he is the Son of God, but he is God. All the fullness of deity dwelt in him in bodily form. There is no separation between God and the Son of God. The cults do not believe that. That is the difference between Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, all of the other cults you can think of. They will say that Jesus is a Son of God. And even some will say the Son of God. But they will not say he is God. That's the difference. Hmm? A God, but not the one God. He is not God. Um, so Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. He is the Spirit of God. There, it's all one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No separation. It is the three in one God. Um, so, um, and the Holy Spirit, as I say, the Holy Spirit gives joy and affliction. The Holy Spirit calls believers to holiness. Um, even in the first chapter, you see that. Um, so it became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. They became an example of Jesus Christ and of um, the way that we should live our Christian life. Um, and as I said, he taught them about the second coming of Christ. I, you know, just think about that, John. You could say something to, to one of your children and they could say, tell me more because I'm really worried about the end of the world. I mean, I used to be really scared and afraid of the end of, end of the world. They should be. Mm. Okay, so, as I said, um, the gospel revolutionized their lives, and that's the question for us. Has it revolutionized ours? Has it really? And when we go back now to Second Timothy, and we just pick up that last chapter, which is where uh, we are in this last session of this study, um, and we look at what Paul, his final comments to Timothy are, it's really um, a salutary lesson, yeah. Um, anyway, made me think of that full conviction thing. Yes. Is that why they moved on? Because if you were to read, yes. just looking at it in um, Colossians 2.2, 2, it said that their hearts may be encouraged yes. having been knit together in love yes. and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge yes. of God's mercy. Yes. Yes. And that's why they have. Yes. Yes. And I'm wondering if that's why we don't have that. Because they're not so. Are we missing it? Are we not. Do we not have that full conviction? I think that. Yes, I think that's the answer. Mm. We don't. Because our. I think that. um, We're pulled in many different directions. I do, but I think their culture probably wasn't the same as ours. And that ours, although maybe it was, I don't know, the Romans were very big on um, intellect because it came out of the Greek culture, so maybe it was. But I find, what I find with a lot of Christians, or a lot of people who say they're Christians at least, there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of discussion and theorising and 
and philosophy about, well, could Jesus really have said this? And surely when he said this, didn't he mean this? And, and actually, those are the words of Jesus, but I'm not sure these are the words of Jesus. And did Paul really write this letter to Timothy or did somebody else write it? And on and on and on it goes. And all that that does is just bring doubt and confusion. Yeah, and um, we spend hours and hours and hours trying to find our way through that little maze and then there's no time to actually hear the living and active word of God. So I think we've, yeah, and, and all of that strips our assurance. It just takes our assurance. And also the thing is, if you're not living a holy life, if you're in a known sin, you've got no assurance because you can't have any assurance because you know that you're doing stuff that God doesn't want you to do. And so that will remove any assurance you have of eternal salvation or the fact that you can't lose your salvation. Um, Yeah, it will strip you of that assurance and that conviction. Um, I think a lot of people think that, um, having used the word think so many times in the same sentence, I think a lot of people think they can think their way to heaven. Do you know what I mean? They can... They can work it all out and get there. It's impossible to think so. Yes, exactly. Um, so faith really is understanding the word as it's written and not trying to work it out. Well, faith, yeah, that's another thing, actually, Brian. That's a good point. Well, actually, we call faith believing. And actually, it is in some ways, but faith, having faith means believing, trusting the Lord Jesus. But Paul, when he talks about faith, he doesn't, he almost always talks about the faith that was handed down to the saints. He doesn't use that because that's how Jude wrote it, but the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. So what they mean is a body of doctrine, a body of truth that was handed to you when you believed through their teaching or, or in, w- in whatever way, but it was handed to you. So they're not talking about your actual f- believing in that truth. They're saying there is a set of truth. There's a, like a volume of truth. There's you know encyclopedia of faith, and that's what you've been given, and, and that's what this is. And, and what, what Paul is maintaining is, and all the New Testament, rather, all God maintains that if you choose to believe this, given the fact that you're going to look at the context and what the word meant, all of that, but if you choose to put your trust in what this says, you will have assurance. You will have conviction. You will know God and be known by him. Um, and, and so, that's, so then we choose, will I trust that or not? And that's what we start to call faith. Yeah. But God calls the faith is something different. It's the whole body of truth that we've been given. But I think for me always, when a Christian does not believe that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the unadulterated view mm. of God and starts saying Noah's this thing, mm. where Jonah couldn't stop yeah. the fish, etc., you know that you're dealing with an unregenerate mind. Exactly. Unbelief. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, t- definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because we live in... We, yeah, but we do live in a difficult time because there are lots of believers who, who think that evolution is the truth. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't like to say they're not believers because, yeah, and also because the whole of our culture is at work against a six-day creation. And you have to really dig 
to find the proof for a six-day creation outside of the Bible, I mean. So I don't blame people for not believing that God created the world in six days. I just feel sorry for them because the whole of the Bible hangs on the first ten chapters of Genesis. And if you don't believe that, you really are stuck because, because your faith can't stand. It's got nothing to stand on. Genesis has got the doctrine. Every doctrine is found in Genesis, in the whole Bible. Doctrine of man, doctrine of God, doctrine of marriage, doctrine of all of it is all found in Genesis. If you disregard Genesis, you're in trouble. So it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, anyway, so Timothy is told, chapter 4, can we go to 2 Timothy, um, chapter 4, um, and read those first, first five verses. Um, yeah, the first five verses. Someone read those verses, please. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Thank you. Okay, so Timothy is going to take over from Paul. So pretty much what Paul has been doing, Timothy is going to continue to do. Obviously, it's going to be less uh, new ground he's going to cover because Paul's missionary journeys took him all over. Um, and so Timothy is going to go back and he's going to visit those churches. He's going to be, uh, technically, he's going to take more truth into those churches, <coughs> make sure they're functioning the way that um, the Lord wants them to function. And he's going to be evangelizing on the way. But what do you know about how it's going to be for him when he takes up this call or continues in it? He's going to meet some very tricky customers. And Paul has described them in chapter 3. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. And that's not, not just males. That word for men is people. People will be. And it's the same in chapter 4. Um, for the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. So this is not a male-female divide. This is simply that people will want to hear what they want to hear, and they will accumulate teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Now, if you, if you needed any proof of that, you just had to pick up today's paper or look on the TV. People want to hear what they want to hear and they are blocking their mind to everything else. And of course, as we've said so many times, what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 3, um, that they hold to a form of godliness but deny its power, these things are happening inside the church, inside the professing church. And um, that is obviously going to make things more and more difficult for those of us who want to preach the word, and who want to speak it. So what is Paul's advice to Timothy in the in these verses. 
sober. Yeah. Be sober in all things. What does that mean? Because do, I don't think it means don't have a drink. Hmm? Keep calm. Exactly. Keep calm. Keep calm. Keep cool-headed in the face of difficulties and opposition. Uh, we know that because he's already told him in chapter 2, be gentle with those in opposition and hoping to lead them to repentance. Um, endure the hardship. Yeah, endure the hardship. So um, what does that tell us about you know, God's call on our lives? What, what's it going to be like? It's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to put it up, up with a lot. And you're going to be opposed. You're going to be opposed. And you're going to be called names. And people are going to say you're too fundamental. And, yes. and you know, in, in there's an arrogance about you. And why do you think you're right? And why is everybody else wrong? And it, the, the list is endless. And that's how it's going to go. And, and that's really just the tip of an iceberg that is massive in the world. 245 million Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith. 245 million I mean, we just, I, I can't get that number in my head. I can't even think about what that means. But, you know, the, the persecution of Christians is higher than it has ever been. And yet there is very little reporting on it. Why is that? Yeah, it's the last days, and we knew that it would be like that. Yeah, because if Satan blind, knows, don't we? yes, I think we're blind. We're blind, and we're blind in this this part of the world because we're not being persecuted yeah. to that extent. So we're not being persecuted for our faith so much here. I mean, obviously there are things starting to happen, but we're not facing that sort of persecution. So it's possible to forget that 245 million Christians are being persecuted. Yeah. It's possible to live your whole Christian life and not think about it. And you hmm. Definitely, 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 exactly, I definitely think that, I, I do think that, <laughs> and in some ways, it, it, I, I'm a bit kind of two-sided about it, it's like supporting two football teams, um, because I think that it's because of the apathy in the church, largely in the West, that we don't face such persecution, but I also think that in a strange way, we are on the front line because the persecution of people who want to know God and know his word is, is much more subtle because it's coming at us from inside the church. So in some ways, those of us who see the apathy and who want to do something about it are going to face a persecution that is very, uh, I want to say sinister, subtle. subtle. It won't come in the ways that, for example, in North Korea. And I, no, I'm not saying I'd like to swap places, I wouldn't. But I do think that sometimes we don't recognise this is also the front line. Yeah. And that, and that it's going to be very hard to stand in this place. Not physically, necessarily, but um, in every other way. Because, because the church is against us the organisation that calls itself the church is against us. Funny enough, Carol and I were talking about this. 
being so grateful for the teaching that you mm. give us mm. through precepts. Because before it was easy to be, in a sense, played mm. around like mm. this, um, mm. that, um, mm. whatever. Mm. But it's taught us how to stand. Yeah. For which we're incredibly and how And how to read the word. Exactly. Mm. I mean, it's just an amazing gift, isn't it? How to study. Suffering from continual bombardment from the pulpit of doubt. Mm. Doubt in what's written. Yeah. Doubt if that's what's meant. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You've had that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And you've got to battle with that. For me, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's all I've ever been used to. Yeah. Yeah. People questioning it. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. And I think in that's happened in all sorts of ways. I mean, you may have a red letter Bible. Do you have a red letter Bible? And yeah, you know, they're 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 good, and they they highlight the words of Jesus. But actually, the whole Bible is the words of Jesus because He is the Word of God. So when you highlight some words and not others, you give importance to some words just instinctively, that you're not giving to other ones. I'm not saying you're doing that, Carol, because you're getting it now. But, but if, if that's the Bible that you, you, you're just given, you automatically assume that the words of Jesus in the Gospels are more important than the words you read in Ephesians and the words you read in Revelation and the words you read in Genesis. And somehow they've got more impact in your life and more meaning. But actually, that's not true. Because the whole Word of God is the Word of Christ. And so, but it's just that it's nice to know what he actually said. Definitely, I know, and I'm not talking about you, Carol. I've got a red letter Bible too at home, so it's not that at all. But it is that in in subtle ways, it's possible to manipulate thinking. Do you know it's so interesting because we're doing all these other, you know, books, and I was thinking, let's do a gospel. I know, I'd like to do that too. Yes. Yeah. Um, actually, oh yeah, it is subtle. Uh, every, I think I honestly think that every New Testament letter, you can find a confirmation in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So Paul will say things like um, that he's being poured out like a drink offering on the service of his faith, and Jesus will say, "Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends." And Jesus will say that you need to be a servant. Peter will pick that up and say, "Elders are servants." Not, um, not to be lording it over the flock. So there's everything Jesus said in the Gospels is repeated in the letters in the New Testament. Um, yeah, so anyway, we, we digress. So Timothy has got to remain cool-headed in face of difficulties. He's got to endure hardship, and he's got to do the work of an evangelist, which is proclaiming the Gospel <laughs> at every opportunity. And in every way, Paul writes, fulfill your ministry and the word for ministry is service, voluntary service, from which we get the word deacon. So he is to fulfill his ministry. And then what about us? What about us? Read, somebody read verse 6 to 8, please. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, 
not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Right, thank you. Okay, so here we have really what Paul's been leading to, um, or the shadow of which we've seen in the whole letter, and that is that he's, he's going to die very soon, and he knows it. He's going to be executed. And, um, and he's, he explicitly states it now in terms of his departure. The time for my departure is near. And, um, and when you think about that, and think about the fact that this is what he wrote to Timothy when he knew that it might be tomorrow or the next day or next month when he would be executed. If you, would, if you knew that you had only a few days and you were writing to your beloved son in the faith or someone that you knew was going to follow your work, what would you want to tell them? And that's what Paul has told Timothy here. He's, he said, um, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. And then he's going to say, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I have kept the faith. And, and that sums up everything about Paul's life. He's, he's, he's finished the course, fought the fight, and he's um, kept the faith. Kept the faith. Do you see again what I mean by faith? He's kept the faith. He's kept this body of doctrine that is the faith that was um, handed down, as Jude will say, to the saints. Um, when he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, what does that remind you of and where do you think he's got that from? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And the Old, the Old Testament, yeah. From the sacrifices in the yes. temple yes. and the um, drink offering, which was a soothing aroma to the Lord and um, uh, so he's, he's, he's reminding them that his service and his uh, impending death is an offering to God um, and that really had been his goal and his purpose since the moment he met Christ on the road to Damascus his whole life was changed in that moment and his, he had a completely different goal and purpose, just like the Thessalonian believers. His, his life was completely turned upside down by this meeting with Christ. He met him, the risen Christ, on the road, um, and those Thessalonian believers met Christ through the word that Paul preached, but they each one met Jesus, and that meeting changed their life. Um, Did you say his impending death is an offering. What did you say? I said his life had been an, an offering. Yes. He'd been poured out as a drink offering. Yes. And his death, too, would be an offering because yes. he was willing to die yes. for, his, for God and yes. for the faith. Yes. Um, and he knew in that jail that there would be no release. He knew that he was going to die. He said at the time of his first defence, no one stood with him. So it's, it sounds like he's been standing before judges and, and his barrister or lawyer has made a defence for him, but that's been um, overturned. Or, so he knows that he's going to, to, uh, to die. And what do you notice about him when he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith, what does he know is going to happen? 
He's going to receive a crown. He's going to receive a crown um, of righteousness which was waiting for him. And he knew it. He was convinced of it. And that's not pride on his part. That's just he trusted the Lord Jesus in his promises. And, um, and he expected to receive it. Now, I don't know whether that was he would be fully righteous, so the righteousness that had been worked out in his life would be fully crowned, as it were, when he saw Christ, or whether it would be a crown of righteousness that he receives, I don't know. I don't think it matters, really. Um, Exactly. Loved his appearing. So, yeah, so what does that mean, loved his appearing? Well, it's that hope we have in him. Yeah. Yeah. Face to face, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and loved his appearing. What does loved his appearing mean? Yeah. But when you say you've loved, when he says you've loved the appearing, and all those who have loved his appearing. I don't think so, Carol, although it may include them. Um, yes, maybe. It could be that too. But I think what he's talking about is this longing for Christ, this longing for him to, to come. Yeah, this kind of just waiting and longing and loving him and wanting him to come. Uh, it may include all the other things. But specifically love, isn't because you can long for something. Yes, long, you can. Yes, yes. That's it, yeah. So I, I was thinking about that, and that the fact that for those of us who love his appearing, what would make you not love the appearing of Christ? Fear. Fear, Fear would make you not love. And why would you be afraid? Sin. Sin, because you haven't accepted him, you haven't received Christ. And... People that you love on the earth are not going to come with you. They're not going to be in the same yes, situation. Yes, yes, yes. So it's like, Lord Jesus, come back quickly because it's terrible. The world's getting darker. But don't come back too soon because I want my family to be saved. We all have part of that in us. But I also think it's like John writes, don't love this world or the things of this world. Because if, you, if your eyes are taken off of Christ, even for a short time, you will find you won't love his appearing because you'll be distracted. And he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have run the race. That took absolute separation by Paul. It meant that he could not do anything else. He had to do the work that God created in advance for him to do. I don't think it meant he didn't have fun with it, he didn't enjoy it, he didn't, uh, but I do think that he knew what he was called to do and he wanted to do that. Now, I'm not saying everybody's Paul because, of course, we're not all Paul. We don't all have the same call, but we do have, all have a call and we all have a work that God created for us to do. And we all have the opportunity and we'll all stand before the Lord. And can we all say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I ran the race. Can I 
just say something? Mm. Sorry, I don't want to say too much. But mm. I think we know that we're called to something, but we really feel totally yes. unable to do it. And then we find we're actually able to do it. Yes. Like, Lord, Lord really puts the words of your mouth yes. into the opportunity. And, you know, I once thought this is like calling off a log. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. I think God That's does the Holy that. Spirit that yes. makes it like that. Isn't Definitely. It? You yeah. don't think you can do something, and suddenly, actually, you can. Yes, mm. yes, because God does it in you and through mm. you. Mm. And I think it's probably necessary that you know you can't do a thing. <coughs> when I've had it proved to me, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, doubt's a big one, John. It's a big one, and you have to fight it. Mm. You have to really fight it. Sometimes even when I'm thinking about things, I'm thinking about the Lord could come tomorrow and or he could come now. <coughs> I find a little voice in my head that says, really? Really? So I think that we each have our own things. And doubt's, doubt is a thing that most people have from time to time. And you have to fight it. And you can only fight it with the truth of the word of God because all of your reasoning won't get rid of it. So, okay, we're nearly at the end then. Um, <coughs> Paul says, this crown of righteousness will be for all who've loved his appearing. And we can know what it's like to be a person who's loved his appearing by what Paul describes his life has been and what he's told Timothy to do. And that all through the letter he's told him, uh, separate from what is false and follow what is true. Separate from what is not right and follow what is true that's what Paul did that's why he says the Thessalonians did that's what he's calling Timothy to do separate yourself from what is false and follow what is true and that's what we're called to do we are called to separate from what is false we are not called to try to change everything that is false we are called to be apart from it um, it doesn't mean that you, ha you, ha you have to live in this world. So <laughs> You have to live amidst people who, who believe the wrong things and who go the wrong way. But you have to separate your mind from those people and your fellowship from those people. I don't mean that you're not kind to them, that you don't love them. I don't mean any of that. But I mean you need to be strengthened with other believers in the word, in and through the word of God. Because times are coming when people will need to know where to go for the truth. So they need to see someone beforehand who has separated themselves for the truth. Um, and Paul then will go on, won't he, for, um, um, and list all these people, some who have left him, some who have stayed. Um, and then right at the end he'll send greetings to... Uh, and I think in, in probably in the precept homework, if you've got the precept book, and certainly what I put online was look at some of these people and see if you recognize any of them from scripture um, and can you kind of come up with any any other things about these people because they're mentioned by name Carpus, Alexander, um, Tychicus, uh, yeah who did you save someone else? Onesiphorus. Oh yeah Onesiphorus I mean these people that you know that that Paul knew some had left him as I say some had stayed around um, and Paul warned Timothy about one of them. Who did he warn him of? Alexander, who had done Paul much harm and who Tim he wanted to warn Timothy about. Um, 
Um, and then, yeah, we don't have the time to go through all of those people, but um, verse, uh, as we get to verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do you think Paul means about out of the lion's mouth? <coughs> the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through the proclamation, through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Jesus appeared to him on the road. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yeah, rescued him. Yeah, I, I think that more specifically out of the lion's mouth, what, what do you think he's kind of referring to? Because Paul wasn't in the lion's mouth at that time. He was in Satan's. He was in Satan's, yeah. Yeah, it, it could have that in it. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it, John, but it might be that, yeah. In jail. In jail, yeah, under arrest. But I, I, he says here... At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord st stood with me and strengthened me. So, so that the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's, uh, lion's mouth. Yeah, Satan, yeah, he is. But I was wondering about Daniel, you know, Daniel in the um, lion's den. And when he was in the lion's den, the, he, the Lord was with him. And I think that Paul's thinking of that kind of thing, that he was in a place where he, he despaired and everyone left him, but Jesus was with him. And Jesus wasn't just with him, Christ strengthened him. That's what you're talking about with when you're talking to people. That's what Carol means when she says, that's what Eve says, that you find when you just when you're in that place, God does not desert you and that he will strengthen you and rescue you from what looks like the lion's mouth. I mean and actually for Daniel and for Paul and for all of us, sometimes the situations we're in look impossible. And we just wonder, how can that ever be right? How can I ever manage that? And yet, Christ is there with us. Um, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Great Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesophorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. If you think that God heals everybody, if they just have enough faith, read those last verses. I left uh, Trophimus sick at Miletus. Um, There's so many things that we could talk about in this letter, but basically Paul ends it with, um, to him be the glory forever and ever. And grace, grace be with you. 
That last verse, the Lord be with your spirit, the word your is singular, and so Paul is saying to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. And then grace be with you, the you is plural. So God is, uh, Paul is writing to anyone else who reads this letter. Mm-hmm. It's quite an amazing thing, actually. So that's us. Yeah, it's it us. 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 It's everybody. That's to, that's to him specifically, because Timothy's going into the lion's den himself. Reference in 1 Samuel 17 37. Moreover, David said, The yeah. Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, well, he delivered deliver me. me from the hand of the Philistine. Yeah. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Yeah. His enemy said to him, yeah. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, as we finished, 2 Timothy, it's finished, unafraid and unashamed. And um, the final message of, of God through Paul to Timothy. Um, but there are some things I've written for, but you may have more. There should be some standout things from this letter. Not should be. Are there some standout things from this letter that you will remember? And, yeah. The, looking up the word um, discipline mm. and finding it meant right mind as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I found that incredibly yeah. revealing. Yeah, it is. It's still going on revealing things to me, but yeah. I find that extraordinary. Yeah, thank you, Carol. That yeah. That yes. Yeah. Makes me weep. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so it's it's so wide. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Anything else? If you felt like, you know, I mean, God wrote this letter to me and he wrote it to you and he wrote it to us as a body of believers. So what do you think he wanted us to know? We are going to be abused. We are yeah. going to be having a nasty time. Yeah, everyone who wants to live godly in Christ yes. Jesus will be persecuted. Yes. He wrote that to Timothy in his first letter. In this, I'm doing a precepts thing and it said, you know, what what has happened to you in that way. Mm. And I thought, actually, I haven't really felt too bad, but I have been belittled yeah. quite a lot. Mm. And that's not much fun. No, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. Yeah, I know. I love the way that, you know, tribulation, persecution, whatever, count it joy. Yeah. And the joy, you know, it's not wrong to be sort of full of joy. No, full no. Full of excitement no. at this word. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. It's not us to grant if we do the elements or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and actually, that's one of our best forms of evangelism. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. 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 Fan into flame the gift of God. We talked a lot about that, about having to add, um, you know, that God does it all, but He calls us to go along with Him. And one of the things we can do is to stir up the flame, to just stir up this gift of God. And we do that by trusting the Word and by obeying it, actually. Um, the other thing I had was avoid what is evil and cling to what is good. Separate from what is false and follow what is true. Um, pursue righteousness. 
pursue righteousness. You know, we, we sometimes have this idea that God is going to transform us, which is true, but he'll do it despite our best efforts. You know, almost that he'll do it and we don't have to do anything. But we do. We have to pursue righteousness. That's what he told Timothy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even at the end. Yeah, joy. Because he's been poured out like a drink offering. Yeah, definitely. And fight the fight, finish the course, and keep the faith. Yeah? Sure, yeah. Yes. It was uh, pursue righteousness. Yeah, pursue righteousness. He, he actually says that to Timothy in those words. Yeah. But you, son of man of God, pursue righteousness. Um, there's this sense that we have to run after it and um, the character of godliness. It's, um, it, 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 we're not passive in all of this. This is something we must do. Um, and I think too much the church teaches that God will do it. We just kind of sit back and let him have his way. And it just came to me, we're not passengers on a bus. No. No. That's what well, people think. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the bus, that's yeah, it. that's it. You're on the bus, you've got your ticket in your pocket. Yeah. So if the guard comes around you can prove you've got the ticket. Yeah. Um get off the station and get back on. Yeah, it's a tricky one because God does do it all. He does enable us. And we are on the bus, actually, in some ways. But, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. But you've got to make an effort. You do, yeah. But, the, but yeah, but we have to be too careful we don't go too far with that because we end up with the saying, God helps those who help, them, help themselves, which is completely and utterly untrue. God helps those who cannot help themselves. So, yeah. So... Just as we think we've got somewhere, we're tipped upside down and we haven't got anywhere at all. So, Father, thank you just for those who are uh, itching to get home. Um, Lord, thank you for this study. Thank you for the letters that Paul wrote, that you wrote through him. Thank you that you bothered to write to us. Thank you that you send us grace. And thank you that your spirit is with us, actually, that by the spirit of Christ, we are enabled to live this life, to fight the fight, to run the course, all of those things. Help us, Lord, as we pursue righteousness, as we seek to live godly lives and to witness to your amazing love. Help us as we do that, Father. And, um, and Lord, I pray that between now and next week, when we start this new study on prayer, that, that you would keep on reminding us to take that time aside to sit with you and to open your word and to listen to you speak. And, and, and Lord, help us to order our days so that we have the time to do that. And thank you, Lord, that you will do these things, for you want us to know you. What an amazing blessing that is. So I thank you, Father, for this study. I thank you for what you will do in this coming week. And I ask you, Lord, to be blessed by our offering of our time and energy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I would also thank mm. you that we haven't run off that we've stayed with this ministry. Oh, yes, thank you. That we love it, that we're faithful to it as we're faithful to you. Mm, and Lord, thank you, Lord. I really pray that you will speak to each one of us and mm. show us where you want this ministry to be yes. placed. Thank you, next. Lord. Mm. It will be a holy place. It will yeah. be a godly place. 
it will be important people will be drawn to. Mm. And we pray for it, that we will see it and be in unison yeah. concerning it. Thank in you, Lord. Jesus name. Amen. 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 And Lord Jesus, may I pray for Anne in this, this next week, mm. when mm. she's going to speak to many people abroad. Mm, thank may you. she stir them up, may she fan their flames, mm. may, she, you, may they trust in the word, mm. may they obey it, thank may they pursue righteousness, mm. and may they fight the fight. Thank and may you. enable all of this in these people that are going to hear her speak. Thank you, Father. Amen. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Thank you.